Have you ever felt that you could never please someone? No matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't measure up to someone's expectations for you. Have you? I'm sure that you have. It may be in your marriage. It may be in another relationship. It may be at work. But there are times when we feel like, you know, I work, I pray, I do my best, and it's never enough. And you feel like quitting. You feel like, well, if, if I were just perfect, that would be, if I were perfect, then no one would have a complaint and I would meet everyone's expectation. Or you may say, I wish I, I was perfect and everything around me was perfect because that would make it less annoying. <laughs> if uh, every other, of course, if, if other people were perfect, that would be intolerable. <laughs> Probably a tough thing to be able to process through. And yet, it is the way God made the earth. The very beginning of your reading in scriptures, when you start off in Genesis, and it says God created the heavens and the earth, and and those first couple chapters describing this creation as good, it was perfect. It was perfect. And if you go all the way to the end of your Bible, there's a book called Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and heaven is perfect. So we have creation perfect, heaven perfect, and then all the junk in between. (laughs) And that is where we live. And in this life, Jesus has commanded us to be perfect. Matthew 5:48 says, "Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect." And it's another way of saying be holy. If I said be holy, be perfect, be without flaw. Be totally separate. And I think that it's something I want. I would like to be perfect. I'd like for everything around us to be perfect. I'd like for this church to be perfect. I'd like my family to be perfect. I'd like that. And God commands me to be that. And yet I I feel this frustration. I feel this tension because I do live in a fallen world. And there is fallenness and decay all around me. And so it's an interesting command and it raises a few questions a few questions on holiness. What does it mean? Why should I care? And if I end up caring, if you want me to care, how do I really respond? How do I respond to this command and this desire that I have? And I think there are are two typical responses, and we've talked about this. This is really the third message on this topic of perfection. Typically, I can say, you know, I want, to be, I want to be perfect, so I am going to work really, really hard. And I'm sure every one of you have done that. You've just tried harder. And we're really good at taking lists. And, you know, Ten Commandments is really not enough. And so as the Pharisees did, they'd add about 600 more <laughs> commands. And, you know, if we can create this list of do's and don'ts. I'm going to do all of these things and not do all of these things. 
then I can feel really good about checking them off. You know what? I did this today. I did this today. I did this today. And what it ends up being is another form of self-righteousness. It's not perfection. It's self-righteousness. So I feel like by my behavior, by my doing, by my working, by my striving, that I can become more pleasing to God. And it just doesn't work that way. We've used the word legalism or Phariseeism. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of Christianity today that functions that way because it's very easy. It's very easy. Create your list. And it helps you with the checkoff, and it also helps you judge everybody else, which is a lot more fun. But it really doesn't move you forward in your Christian life. There's another response that's on the opposite side of self-righteousness, and I'd call that self-indulgence. That's saying, you know what, I'm all under grace, you know, God loves me, Jesus died on the cross, so it just doesn't matter how I live. You say, are people like that? Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's, what your, that's what your flesh wants to do. I just want to do it my way. You know, your kids are that way. Little children are that way. They don't cover it up as well as we cover it up. We're, we're a little better at covering up that type of living. And I find this, that, that we can swing from the self-righteous list-keeping to a complete self-indulgence, which no list, no rules, no regulations, don't tell me what to do, and it becomes, in a sense, a license. So you ever try avoiding one ditch on a gravel road, and you're getting over to that ditch, and all of a sudden you, you jerk the steering wheel, and you end up in the other ditch? And those are two responses that I'd see, especially working with young people, to see the, the pride that comes with self-righteousness, but also the pride that will come in self-indulgence and living the way you want to. You know, if you, if you begin living a life where I just do as I please and I want to make myself happy, it never ends well. So how do we process this? If we know that God made the world perfect and, and in the end it's going to be perfect and He's commanded us to be perfect and we have a desire for that, then... How do we respond to his instruction? So our text today is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 to 17. I'm going to read this. You'll see it on the screen. And then I want to make some comments. We've been two weeks on uh, part of this. And, and I, hope, I hope my prayer today is that we can move from, from some of the frustration of trying to live the Christian life to be able to see how it really works and how God has planned it for us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as He who called you is holy... So be holy in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges every person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. I want us today to, to look at 
four dimensions of this command and what it means. The first of these we talked about, holiness, is that holiness is the exaltation of a person. Holiness is the exaltation of a person. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so the focus is not on a list. It's on a person. And it's about a relationship. You see, religion likes lists. And every, every religion out there is going to have a set of lists. It'll have a creed, which, which I think is important to have a set of beliefs. But you typically live life in that way by list keeping. But what I have found is that list keeping just makes you keep on sinning. In fact, the more lists you make, the more opportunities there are to disobey. <laughs> There's almost an attraction. I remember hearing a guy telling me the story. It had been uh, written in an article of a, of a dad who had a five-year-old son, and his five-year-old son was going to have a birthday. So they decided <clears throat> that they're going to have a huge birthday party for their five-year-old son in the backyard. So all the kids come on that day, and they're just bunches and bunches of five-year-old boys in the backyard. And the dad gets up and he says, we have got games, we have got food, we have got uh, the trampoline over here. And he just walked through all, and the, and the kids are just so excited, all that they had planned for that afternoon. And he said, now there's just one thing that I don't want you to do. You see, this garden over here, and there's a small garden over the side of the yard. And he says, don't spit in the garden. Now, you boys go and have fun. And you know what happened? He said, he just, this is kind of cruel, I think. But he just watches those boys that begin to drool. <laughs> I mean, they're looking to spit. Now, when would that have ever entered into their mind going to that party? You've got ice cream and candy and cake and games and fun. And, and when would they ever even think about a garden? Or when would they even think about spitting in the garden? And now he's watching these boys <laughs> roam over there, <clears throat> look around, <clears throat> and spit in the garden. And I think that that really, when you look at God's law, what God's law did for us is expose our sinfulness. That's what it did. But law-keeping and list-keeping does not build relationship. And that's what the Lord wants. The key word for this, the exaltation of a person, is identification. It's about coming to know God personally through Jesus Christ. The only way that we can come to know God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, as He is revealed through His Word and teaches us by His Holy Spirit. And I know that there are some of you here today that say, you know, I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm interested in that. <clears throat> I'm not sure if I believe that. And I would ask you to take a, a little challenge and a 21-day challenge. You say, you're giving us challenges every week now. <laughs> but if you're not sure about the reality of Jesus Christ and about this in 
the personal part of relationship, to take a 21 challenge to read the Gospel of John. There, there are 21 chapters in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. As I say, there's one Gospel, there are four different accounts. And John gives us an account, 21 days and read one chapter a day and, and ask the Lord this, a simple prayer, Lord, if you're real, I want you to be real to me. I want you to show me that you're real. Because what this world needs is not more religion, but it needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'd especially challenge you, you say, well, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm going to heaven. I've already made that decision. But sometimes I think that we can get so caught up, if we, particularly if we grow up in church, that, you know, I've always done this. I've always believed this. But it's never really become personal. It's never become a relationship where God is speaking to you through His Word, and you are speaking to Him in prayer, and you sense His presence, and you experience relationship. As I was sharing a couple weeks ago that part of the concept of the idea in perfection or holiness is separation. We are separated too. And it's important that we get this right because you can be separated from all the wrong things in the world. I'm separated from all these bad things and not be separated to what is right. Does that make sense? You say, well, I can list all the bad things I don't want to do and say, I'm not doing those. That doesn't really make you a better person. That's why I think that when people come and they say, you know, I've got a problem here of, of pornography or of drugs or addictions or alcohol, and they say, I've got to solve this problem. Solving that problem really doesn't make you a better person. They clean you up on that particular issue, but you're still a sinner. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you are separated to Him and have relationship with Him, you're automatically separated from everything that is wrong. So the focus becomes not on the garden spitting in it. <laughs> the focus becomes on what is true and right and spend your time with that. The identification with Christ and coming to know Him in a personal way. So it is an exaltation of a person. Secondly, we talked about this last week, is that holiness or perfection is the establishment of a position. In other words, who, who I am. We ask, who are you? <laughs> People ask you that. Who are you? And, and, and I, I pause and I think, well, is that how, what I think or how I feel or what other people are saying about me? Who am I? Or can I step back and say, does God have something to say about that? Because He does. And the text of Scripture is in 1 Peter 2.9 where He says, but you are. In other words, this, this is a, command, a, a statement of fact. But you are chosen. You are royal. You are priesthood. You are holy. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. That's a statement of fact. And it's like a judge who takes the, the gavel and he strikes it down. I declare you are righteous. This is a declaration of God. He is the, the judge. And he is declaring you perfect. Say, don't feel that way. All around me is imperfection. 
but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, Jesus Christ purchased your freedom. It's an amazing thing. Jesus Christ purchased your freedom. And so he credited to your account all of his righteousness. He took upon himself all the payment for your sin. In other words, the consequence of what you did wrong, he paid the price for. And he gave you, imputed to you righteousness. So there is a position, I think this is so important that we understand, that while we live in an imperfect body, I live in an imperfect world, and I live with a lot of imperfect people, that what God has done for me as he has justified me, he has justified me. And that, that's the key word, justification. You say, well, that's a, that's a heavy-loaded word, but it's a beautiful word. It's a theological term that I think is one of the great terms in all of the Bible, that he has made us just. He has made us that way, and that is who you are. And so if that is who you are, then that's how you should live, which moves us to the third of these concepts, these ideas, and, and that is this, is that holiness is the engagement of a process. Holiness is the engagement of a process. Now, okay, I'm perfect. <laughs> we laugh. If God made me perfect, then I would say, yeah, but there are some present realities <laughs> that I've got to deal with. One of them is Satan, who is, the Bible says, he's like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's a problem for me. I've got this old, this flesh, this body that <clears throat> is still corrupt. It gives me problems. And all around me, I see these things. And so the command is really given to be who you are. In other words, if, if Jesus Christ had made you perfect, that's your position, then be true to who you are by the way that you live. And so the text of Scripture in verses 14 and 15 of 1 Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. There are a couple of words that I, that I haven't put up on the screen, but I think they're, they're interesting words. One is conforming, and one is transforming. Conforming means you've got external pressures to try to bear upon something, to form it. And transformation is something that has changed from the inside out. And Christianity is an inside-out religion. It's not by my doing all these things, but it is when, when Jesus Christ affects my life as I come to know him in relationship, that that relationship will produce change on the outside. The picture that I have on the screen is a picture of a slave being set free, and I thought one of the best ways that I could illustrate is this way, that you know, probably one of the dark, uh, sad experiences of our nation is slavery. <clears throat> and, and, and really, it's not over because there's still attitudes and feelings among people that are really contrary to what, what God teaches in His Word. But you remember Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> the Civil War, and 
the Emancipation Proclamation. These people had been taken from their country, put in chains, put in the bottom of ships, sailed to another country or to an island, sold like, like it was some possession, or sold, and then sold to slave owners here in the U.S. They, they owned nothing. They, they had nothing. They had no freedom. And when Abraham Lincoln made the Emancipation Proclamation, in one moment, the judicial action was, you're free. You're free. But the problem is they were free positionally. In other words, every slave was free. But many did not know what freedom was. Can you imagine that? That, that we understand that. We understand what freedom is. But you could say to the slave, now you're free. They don't have any concept of it. They didn't feel free. And they didn't know how to act free. That's why many of them went back to the plantation, back to their job, back to their master, because that's all they knew how to do. In the same way in the Christian life, the great spiritual emancipation proclamation is that when, when you are by Jesus Christ declared free, free of your sin, washed in His blood, made His child, adopted into His family, you are pure, you are holy. But there are new habits that need to get into your life. Uh, now you have a new nature, but you also have this flesh. And this flesh always has a desire to do things that are wrong. <laughs> it's just the way that it is. Someone asked, well, what is your, what is your flesh? I think it was A.W. Tozer said, it's the donkey we all ride around on. Well, that's the way you feel, this, this flesh. I think back to the story of David. And, and most of you know the story of David and Goliath. And David was uh, the king, the second king following Saul. But he was anointed, he was anointed before he was 17 years of age to be the next king. So at that time that Samuel had, and, and, and he was the most unlikely of all the boys in the family. In fact, they didn't even consider him. Here's, he's young. He's, he's a kid. And yet, there was a day that Samuel anointed young David. This is before he slew Goliath, your king. Okay? That decision's made by God. He's been anointed king. When he's 17, he slays Goliath. And we know that story. But then, for the next 13 years, he goes through a really tough time. Saul, the king, is trying to kill him. And even some of the Psalms that you'll read that David says, Lord, what have I done wrong? Why is this? I mean, there is a real frustration. He's been anointed to be king. He slew Goliath, but now he's going through all of this. He becomes comes king, finally. But then, as we all know, David went through some personal failures. He murdered. He was responsible for murder. And he was also responsible for adultery. And there was a lot of pain that went along with that. 
the struggles he had with his children. But at the end of his life, God said, this is a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. And David, he died, and he's with the Lord today. The time he was anointed, it was settled his position. But then we see that we're growing in an engagement of a process. Old habits need to become new habits. We go through spiritual warfare. Uh, Charles Swindoll says, the aging monk in the monastery is no more safe from temptation than the young man at the mall. The saint in prayer wrestles with temptation just as much as the salesman driving his Porsche. You can't get away from it. The fact we live in a fallen body, fallen world, and we have temptations. And and one of the passages that I have gone to again and again is is Romans 6 and 7. And these these are chapters that I would encourage you to just take time to read. But it says this in, in uh, Romans 6. It says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that through you used to be, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now become to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So you could sum it up this way. Who do you yield to? Who do you respond to? remember hearing a story one time of a, a slave ship and, and uh, had a captain on the slave ship and was full of slaves. And the ship was overtaken by a captain that set them free. And so the, the, the new captain came on board and they tied the old captain, the slave trader, to the mast. And he was sentenced, uh, he would be sentenced when they got back to England. And so he's tied to the mast and he's already going to pay for his crimes and yet he still talks. He has no authority. He's not the captain of the ship. All the slaves are free. He is going to be condemned when he gets to England. But he's still talking. And that's why you need to realize that Satan has no authority. If you're a Christian, Satan has no authority over your life. You don't have to sin, but you will be tempted. And you live in an environment where there's constant temptation. In chapter 7 of Romans, Paul describes this. He said, I would say, the agony of humanity. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. And so there is an ongoing struggle. The key word for this is sanctification. That again, what I'd say, sanctification is a loaded word. But it, it, it means just growing, growing. You're growing. It's like a little baby. And uh, I knew I'd fit this into my sermon somehow today. Because we had a little granddaughter born this last, uh, this last week. And we're last night on the... Uh, you knew I'd get that in there, didn't you? You knew I'd get that in there. And we're on FaceTime uh, watching her just move and you know, say, oh, that looks like Reed, that looks like Heather. And so we're looking at this, this baby. But it, all the, the fingers... The hands, the nose, it's all there. 
but it's going to grow. And she's going to grow through time. And you as a believer, you come to Christ, you're all there. You, you, you have salvation, but your growth is going to take time. And you, God is calling you and helping you, and, and God gives you everything you need along that journey. You say, well, how long does this journey take? So we're reading earlier, how long? God's patient. He's not wanting that any, willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's still people that you know, family members and friends and co-workers out there who don't know the Lord. Isn't that right? There are people out there. And the Lord is patient in that. Finally, holiness is the expectation of a promise. Holiness is the expectation of a promise. And this is what we look forward to. We may say, is there any end? Yes, there is. And the text is 1 Peter 1.17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So in other words, keep the eternal perspective. When there's a death in your family, a sickness, a tragedy, a loss, step back and think of it in light of eternity. You say, for right now, yes, it's tough. It is tough. But look at it in light of eternity. Because that's the way God is working. We talked about in Genesis, He created things perfect. He's going to bring everything to perfection. And God is working all the way through to this end. And we have so much <clears throat> to look forward to. Keep that perspective. So when you face a pressure, you go through a tragedy, then step back and say, in light of eternity, what does this mean? In light of eternity, what does this mean? He has said, I'm a foreigner in this land. This is not my home. There's an old song we used to sing, this is not my home, I'm just passing through. It's not my world. Heaven's not my, uh, this world is not my home. It's not, it's not where we put our stakes down permanently. It is heaven that we look forward to. In 1 John 3, 3 in the NLT, it says, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. All that have this eager expectation, in other words, you keep that focus. We're going to be with Him. We're going to see Him. And what happens when we get to heaven? We say the expectation of a promise. This is when I'd say the, the full scope of salvation and perfection is complete because this body will be gone and he gives me a new body, a perfect body. You looking forward to that? You can look in the mirror. What else do I do? <laughs> perfect body, a perfect heaven. Everywhere you turn, it is beauty and glory, and majesty, and perfection. There is no negativity, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no death. And how long does it last? Forever and ever and ever. And that is His promise. And so when, when you don't think about that, it's, it's easy to get bogged down in this life. But when you remind yourself of that fact, that's His plan. I love what it says in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be also. Now, as sure as God has ever been, that is His plan. The expectation of a promise. So not only for you to have hope and encouragement, but to be able to give that to others. The key word is glorification. My glory, that is completely, I am glorified with Him in heaven. So this is what I'd conclude with. Perfectly in Christ. I say it this way, perfectly in Christ. This is what I seek. My passion, my desire is the person of Jesus Christ. It is not religion. It's not a list. It's not doing all these things and not doing all these things and trying to impress all these people. My passionate pursuit is a real vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And my prayer is this, if you don't have that, I would love, without pressure on you, to share with you how you can do that, how it can become real. This is the person that I seek. Secondly, this is who I am, my identity. You ask me, who are you? Who are you? Well, I may not feel this way, but my position is he's made me perfect. He's made me that way. He's declared me that way. This is who I am, which leads me to the next. This is how I should live. Everything that I do should flow out of who I am. And finally, this is where I'm going. This is my destiny. This is the plan. Get your head up. Get your head up and look. Because it's going to be sooner than you think. And it will help you put everything else in this life into perspective. So when you feel like, I've got to be perfect, what does it mean to be perfectly in Christ? It's all of this. And He has given you everything that you need. And what I would say that is special about this is when I can look at perfectly in Christ and add these words, I am. I am perfectly in Christ. Um, I know Him personally. He has justified me. He is sanctifying me and causing me to grow. And finally, glorification will come in His presence. And I enjoy that. And all of this is possible by believing. It's by believing. You say, that's too easy. That's too easy. Wouldn't it make sense if a God was really loving and He wanted everybody in the world to experience a relationship with Him and be in heaven? Did He make it as simple as possible? It wasn't easy because God gave His Son who died on a cross for our sins. It's not easy, but it's simple to believe. In the same way that we believe to have salvation, we believe every day as we live our lives, as we look forward to the future, is to believe. And that faith in Him will be the step that you make, the, the first step that you make of an ongoing relationship with Him. And my prayer is this for you, that Christ is not just your Savior, your ticket to heaven, your security, 
But is your life? Is your life? You walk with him. You talk with him. You communicate with him. You grow with him. You look forward to being with him. And I feel that what that does is makes us more of an attractive Christianity to other people. And that's what they need to hear. That's what they need to hear. Let's bow together as we pray. Lord, you know how much we struggle in this life with all of the imperfections around us. We are so thankful for the gift of your Son who has redeemed us from our sin, has made us your children, has given us a home in heaven, and today so, so very much to look forward to. And we pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire. Wherever we are in our spiritual walk, give us a hunger and desire to know you personally and meaningfully and intimately. Everyone, Lord, for everyone, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to comment, too, that when we conclude our services, a lot of churches will have an invitation where people can, can come forward and have counseling, and we don't do that. Um, not that that's wrong. I think that can be a good thing, but we do want you to know that the invitation for us to help you in any way that we can uh, stands not only today, any day during the week. Uh, you're not going to have pressure, forced uh, Christianity on you, but to be able to talk and work through some things and point you the way. Uh, the answer is Jesus. It's not us, uh, but it is Jesus, and we would love to be able to have that opportunity to do that. Before we sing our last uh, song, I'd like to have Ross, if he'd come down, and we can have prayer with him, and I'd kind of like to do that when we have our partners uh, come and visit. And Paul, do you have a mic there? I'm going to maybe have Ross just kind of tell what he's doing. Um, Ross is uh, heading back this week to Budapest, and we've got a few of our families. We've got the farmers and the Josephs, and uh, we've got the hospital in, in Kenya and, and others, that, uh, the Rices, that, you know, we're a small church, and so we don't financially support a lot of these people. We're not able to do that, but we do pray, and you know, that's, uh, as, a, as a parent, you know, I'd, I'd want that for my kids more than anything, is that you pray. And uh, so I'd like to be able to do that, and when we have uh, those come through, usually for a short period of time, and they're off again, uh, for us to be able to, to know how we can pray. So, Ross, maybe just kind of share a little bit of, specifically in the next month or so, how we can be praying for you. Um, hmm. You could be praying. We are getting ready to send out several teams who will go into different cities in Eastern Europe and Russia and Western Europe, and they'll be going into cities where we don't know of any sort of ministry, but there's a lot of universities or college students in these cities. And we'll be working with churches and volunteers to try to set up student communities on these, um, in these cities so students would have a chance to connect with Jesus and hear about him. So you could be praying for me as I step into this new role of overseeing this, this uh, project and for my team as we prepare to train all these people coming into Budapest in, in about two weeks. Um, yeah, and pray, pray for, I think, rest and safety and those sorts of things, the things you would think about. So. Okay. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the chance we have to partner with Ross, and even today to pray that you would protect him and his team, and each city that they go to, that you would open the hearts of these university students to the gospel, that you would bring along um, strategic leaders to be able to help, and that we'll continue there and sharing the gospel and the good news of eternal life. Lord, we, we pray for this whole world that so desperately needs salvation. And as we can have a part in this way, Lord, we, we count it a privilege but also a great responsibility to be faithful in praying for Ross and for his entire team. In Jesus' name, amen.